Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Welcome. Um, this is Jenny Brady, and I'm with Tamarcus Ragland. In June, we're now in July, right? I can't believe it's July. Um, but in June, we had a diversity symposium. So to give you a little history about why we do it and what it is, is um, as I've been in this work, I've done a lot of training in the secular world um, and really lamented the fact that we didn't have a place for Christians to wrestle with these areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion from a biblical worldview. And so about four years ago, we created our first Christian Educators Diversity Symposium, and it's grown since then. And so this year we were in Atlanta. We were able to visit some amazing places and um, see some Christian schools there. But we also were able to bring in speakers that we wanted to learn more from. So um, I, to Marcus, I remember, what was it, a week, a week and a half before the actual event. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, wait, I have to manage what's going on in person. I have no one to manage what's going on virtually. So I called you and begged your help to be our virtual host. So I am so grateful you were willing to do that. And we can talk more about how many job offers you got after that. But um, with that, I thought maybe we would just go through and talk through what the symposium covered, maybe some of the areas that were discussed, some of the things that were challenges as we um, pull out the topics. The interesting part of this, of course, is that I'm behind the scenes trying to help run things. So I literally did not sit through any workshops. So I'm just going to ask you tons of questions to Marcus as we go through this and just get your take on what do you think people wrestled with? What do you think they, you know, like maybe push back on? What do you think that they needed more help with? And what did you get out of it all? Does that work for you? Sounds like a plan. (laughs) So so we'll we'll just take, for the beginning, we decided that our our main theme was going to be from philosophy or from theology to philosophy to practice. And so what we do is we have various, um, we, we will break up the participants into family groups. And so they will rotate through all the workshops together in the family groups. And the goal is that is that that family group is a small unit that hopefully they'll be building relationships with so that they can be more vulnerable share more of the information that's going on, kind of wrestle with how it applies in their positions. So the family groups are divided based on the position that they hold at school as well as the diversity that they represent. So um, I guess we'll start. The first keynote we had on theology was D.A. Horton. Um, Phenomenal. What was your take on D.A. Horton? And then how did the virtual participants um, respond to his his talk? Yeah, so um, forgive me uh, with two two uh kids under two my you know acute memory is is lacking but i remember um one of the things that really stuck and was um the kind of vibrant in the discussion with the online was just how um how biblically um how he grounded the conversation biblically right like obviously that was the, the purpose of his talk but um even of just kind of moving the conversation away from maybe some of uh, the the political and just cultural charge 
um, of the conversation and kind of orient, helping us orient and see God's vision um, for the conversation and how it how that can enlighten and give us um, a um, more Christ-centered way of engaging a conversation um, was huge. But I think in even in addition to that, uh, I remember there was one distinction he made um, during a talk of just the difference between moving the conversation from uh, the world's kind of definition of race mm-hmm. to a more biblical understanding of ethnicity um, and how that's um, that is a God ordained and created thing um, that takes into account the Imago Dei. Um, and ultimately, right, we know the fulfillment of that story is um, people from all different ethnicities um, who speak all different languages and are from all different walks of life um, fellowshipping um, with, with Christ uh, in heaven ultimately. And so it was, I think, just getting everything kicked off um, on that that platform was was really helpful going forward. We kept we kept referring back to things that he said uh, as conversations continued. Yeah, and if you work in a Christian school, I can't more highly recommend him coming to speak um, yes. to either your faculty staff. He can even speak to your students. Um, he is extremely, what would you say, intellectual, and his he can speak really high up, but he can also speak at a level where students are just enamored with him and what he has to say. Um, he is grounded spiritually. He knows what he's talking about. There's no real argument with him. So we, I'm sorry. No, I just saying that he's Dr. Horton. <laughs> yeah, he will, he will be. I think he's finishing his dissertation right now. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's coming soon. So. It's coming soon. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we did the next keynote. We did um, Dr. Walter Strickland's, and it was interesting when we chose the the theme of theology to philosophy to practice. We chose that over a year ago, not knowing everything that was going to explode in regards to just the areas of. I guess, what would you say, philosophy in regards to how we apply these things to Christian schools, those kind of areas. And so he did come and speak directly to a topic that is very combustible, I guess you would say, um, on critical race theory um, and how, what what should we do with that? What does it look like? That type of thing. But did you get any comments on how that played out? Yeah, so his his talk, I think, was probably, um, you could imagine, like I say, with our everything going on, it was one of the the more sought after conversations. And he did a really good job of presenting all sides of the conversation. I like I remember him um, just kind of outlining like, hey, this is this is what this side is saying. This is what this side is saying. And he centered everything on like I thought this was genius was this is what each side of the conversation is afraid of. And because they're afraid of this, this is how they then respond, um, which was very, um, I think it helped, it helped make conversations more honest. Mm-hmm. So like in some of the dialogue, like I think people could on both sides uh, sympathize with each other's fears. Um, so it, it was a, it was a way of kind of humanizing the conversation rather than just kind of making it all attacky, uh, attacking um, at all points. Um, but then I'm trying to remember, he had some specific uh, kind of points to each one of those that he laid out um, in his notes, right? He talks about what both sides are afraid of and it kind of 
right, humanize the conversation, but he, the different lenses by which he approached it, right? He said that there's a lot of different ways that the conversation around CRT is happening, right? That there's a, um, people who see critical race theory as woke, um, right? And then the critical race, critical race theory being interpreted as a worldview, which in my opinion, I think is more so how the church sees, um, has been interpreting what, what critical race theory is. And then uh, critical race theory as a sociological discipline, which is probably more true to the actual origins of the theory. Um, but yeah, he just walked through and just kind of diagnosed um, what each of those things, uh, each of those views are afraid of, and then uh, what ultimately um, brings them about. And so maybe I could just share like this is the a definition of critical race theory that he offers. Um, he says critical race theory is a system of ideas theorizing what race is and how it has functioned and how it continues to function in society with an initial interest in legal studies. Yeah, and he did that with the understanding and sociology, right? Yeah, he did it with with each one, but as a sociological discipline, um, that's how he defined it, which I think is very different than um, right than how than how many people would view it. And so, yeah, for me, I think it's that same piece. Oh, sorry. Oh no, you're good. Go ahead. I, th I think it's that same. For me, it was the piece that he did. He humanized it so that it was very biblical to me, and that hey, we need to understand where this. We're meeting people where they're coming from, right. and so he allowed us to better understand the fears on all sides associated with critical race theory, and um, it allowed us to have a broader perspective of how do we recognize truth, how do we recognize falsehoods, and then how do we meet people where they are in these areas. So, for me, it was very beneficial official so yeah. and then well so i did the last keynote but i didn't really because right like it's that practice piece and so i had to speak on um kind of what is it what does a one-year plan look like for this work um shared that and then um had a panel up there so the panel was able to we were from all different schools all different types of schools some were covenant schools where we require parents and um, students to be Christians or at least attend a Bible believing church. Others were open enrollment. And so I wanted to know how this work plays out in those types of schools. So did you have any feedback on what that looked like? Yeah, I was going to, I think this was true about all the talks, but especially with yours. Um, I feel like people couldn't take notes fast enough <laughs> That there were there were so many um, the the beauty I think of of the symposium was I think every person who attended left with an action plan mm -hmm. and like to me when you come when you do a, a, a you know symposiums or conferences or workshops and things of this nature like your your hope is that all right when I leave here I will have been equipped with something that I can go back to whatever my you know, space of origin and do something um, versus just having a bunch of information that either is not contextualized enough or, right, is kind of like all theory and no practice or is a bunch of practice, but you're wondering, like, you know, is there, you know, what's the kind of the ideas that undergird it? And I felt like particularly when we got to that session and just getting to hear from um, other people doing the work in Christian spaces in different, in their different contexts, 
um, and were transparent about where they had made great strides, where they were transparent about, hey, we're still working here or, hey, this is the goal, but it's real messy. And sometimes it just looks like this, even though this is what we're aiming for. Um, that kind of conversation uh, both gave a lot of ideas, but for people who are, you know, you can easily kind of romanticize and think like, man, I'm doing this work and it's really ugly where I'm at. And like, it looks so beautiful where, you know, all of these people are and just for them to, to be able to be transparent and share the wins and losses and the struggles and, and concepts and ideas. Um, I felt like a lot of people left encouraged. Good. I think that was the main goal because the work isn't easy. (laughs) So, so we didn't want to give those rose colored glasses to anybody that, Hey, this is going to be easy. And, you know, it's just going to, God's going to make it all come together in this wonderful, you know, way. And he does, God shows himself constantly in the work, right? I always talk about within the work, I have been blessed so much because I've gotten to know Christ even deeper and um, who I am and who he is in relation to all this. Um, But it's definitely not easy. So I'm glad it turned out that way for those listening in. <laughs> so, okay. Workshops. Um, one of the first workshops we had, so everybody is rotating workshops according to, to their family group. And so um, good friend, Dr. Karen Bradbury did one kind of on the economic piece on um, how to support your economically diverse students. So oftentimes when we're in Christian schools or when we're in independent schools, we, we think of diversity only through one lens. It's either race and that's about it. And so we want to hopefully help them understand that no diversity comes in many ways for these schools. And so that economic piece we asked Dr. Bradbury to talk on and how did that go? That one went well. Um, I think given just the nature of Christian schools, right? It's hard to, um, the reality is students aren't coming to, most students aren't coming to school for free. You got to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, things cost uh, a lot of things cost and there's most times you get in and then there's a lot of hidden things that you didn't realize would cost so much but because that's just the I think one of the things she kind of helped us see was because that's just the realm that we live in it's easy to miss how those things could um, subconsciously uh, put up barriers for other people to participate in the life of the school um, and so just uh yeah, I think the biggest thing was just bringing awareness um, to various ways that one, those problems um, arise, but then two, she gave some very practical steps as to, you know, what, how do we meet a student's need um, in this way? Or how can we be creative um, in our programming in order that we, you know, can, can meet the needs of, of our students? Yeah, it was interesting. I know that some spinoff um, discussions were, okay, within the classroom, how does this really apply? And we were talking about how sometimes, you know, like after summer, we have kids come in and we sometimes, especially in lower school and middle school, we'll do writing projects where they write on the vacation they took that summer or something like that. And if you have an economically diverse student body, to um, understand that some kids didn't have, they were in daycare all day, or, you know, they, they were being watched by someone all day. They didn't have a vacation, like, or they were in school or whatever it is. You know, when you come back from spring break, that's often a writing project. So how do you better include the idea of, we have students who won't have the same experiences that we expect our students to have. How do we broaden our perspective on that? So that the follow-up conversations were really good. <laughs> yeah, I think something else she brought up that um, that ended up sparking some really good discussion was 
um, she used the the uh, that the picture that we all see of um, what does equality versus equity um, look like, um, and that that was probably where so a lot of our conversation came in because it was like how do we um, how do we measure what's equitable, um, right? What what's the limit of you know going going above and beyond for somebody who's not necessarily uh, utilizing what's been what's been given to them. And so uh, I remember her her kind of response is what well, our responsibility um, as educators, right? Like we can't we can't make anybody successful, but what we can do for each student is remove the barriers that would prohibit them the ability to be successful. Yeah. And so if there if there is something that is uh, right. Our, our marker for how far do I go with a student is, right, is there something that is prohibiting them from being successful that I can remove so that they have the opportunity um, to do it on their own? And it's like, if, if at that point they choose not to uh, utilize, you know, their, their opportunity, then, you know, there's only so much you, only so much you can do at that point, but we never stop removing barriers. And I just thought that was a helpful, uh, helpful analogy. Yeah, and I think it does help even going back to that critical race theory discussion with the terminology, right? Oftentimes people are now equating equity. They're saying we all define equity if we use the term by equal outcomes. And then we're not saying that, right? Like if we're saying equity is, which is what are we doing to help people be successful? It's their choice on whether they're successful, but what are we doing to remove barriers and to help them in that process? So, yeah. So more equal opportunity is more of what we're looking, not equal outcome. So um, the next one was um, Sarah Cummings, amazing woman, the untold stories in your classroom. She looked at diversifying our, the stories that we tell in the classrooms. What, how did her workshop go? Um, I'll just say for anybody listening who is in charge of curriculum and is looking for somebody that they can talk to who can help them diversify it, in just about any subject because she's a scholar in like almost every right. Um, yeah, she just did an amazing job. Um, I think from helping us see, particularly with literature though, um, how we can incorporate um, diversity um, within our curriculum in a way that isn't like, oh, I got to overhaul the whole process. It's like, man, there, there are so many subtle ways that we can begin to introduce um, ideas and topics to our students. Um, I remember one 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 thing in particular, um, especially for the lower skit, lower school um, teachers. She provided a bunch of resources of books um, that could be used um, and short stories and things of that nature. But even then, what she also said is, you know, for higher uh, for upper school um, teachers uh, as well. She was like, you may use some of these books because some of them were uh, concerning different characters as well. So like, how do we on, you know, in Black History Month where we're not just talking about the same three, you know, Dr. King, Dr. Carver and Rosa Parks. Like there's so many more, um, uh, you know, heroes. She was like, how do we, how can we diversify that? And she was like, maybe it's providing these kids books where students get to get a quick introduction to the character and then their assignment is to go do further research to you know write a paper um but i like usually like that's a great way to just use the resources that you have um 
And then something else that jumped out about hers as well was she talked about um, the different layers of representation that need to be seen. So she was like, um, you're, you know, your women, the ladies in your class, um, the people of color in your class, um, those with differing abilities in your class, they need to see themselves not just as heroes. So like everybody doesn't need to be like the 1%, you know, I changed the world and was a millionaire. Um, they also need to see themselves as a dad and a mom and a friend and right, just a person that belongs to the community um, in a normal way. And then they need to just see themselves as a, as a kid who's doing chores and washing clothes and you know going to the movies. And it's like, all those layers are important. Um, yes, they need the heroes, but they also, need, they also need to see themselves as normal because you run the risk of if all I see is um, the, the Imago Day in the heroic form, then I think that if I'm not if I'm not at that level, if I'm just a regular old kid who's not changing the world, then I'm not as valuable. Um, and what you want to communicate is, um, right, you're valuable because you were made in the image of God. So rather you're, you know, the trash man, whether you're, you know, working a regular nine to five or you're, you know, working for NASA, um, you know, you matter in all those fronts. Um, yeah, it brings me back to the podcast we did with Chandler Gobin, one of our um, an alum, who talked about the only time she ever, so she has cerebral palsy and she's not in a wheelchair, but you know, there are times when she thinks that she might eventually end up in a wheelchair. She's had surgery and she has a wheelchair, but growing up, all she ever saw were people in wheelchairs and they were always homeless. And mm-hmm. so as a kid, she thought she would always be homeless because she had never had any wow. representation. So you can think of it in both ways. You, you know, if you, all you see are the ones who are at the bottom almost of, of the hierarchies that society has created or only the ones at the top who are the heroes, what, what are we giving to our kids? Both our kids who would identify that way, but also the broader range of kids who also need to see that representation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was a beautiful workshop. Oh, yay. Um, next one is Joel Hazard, interpreting the data. So Joel's a good friend. You know, he's the one who helps with the symposium. He and David Robinson and I put together a symposium. We had a great um, task force that worked together on doing this. But David, uh, David, Joel also did a workshop interpreting the data. Yeah. Uh, the, the genius of his session, I think, uh, is something that oftentimes when I think about just the uh, the Christian life and the life that Jesus calls us to not only is it, does it bring him glory? And is it, um, right? Like, obviously like, uh, our, our mandate as believers, kind of the language that, that we use around my church is right for, um, for his glory and for our good, mm-hmm. right? Like that, um, there is a practical benefit to the, um, spiritual responsibility that we find. And so in his, in him interpreting the data, one of the things that he demonstrated was, right. So there's maybe, you know, you're starting a, you know, a, um, almost said a CRT program. That's how. <laughs> no, you're not like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Help me. Um, if you're starting a diversity program at your school, um, and there's a lot of pushback and people don't under, you know, everyone's crying CRT, um, that he like, there's a lot of practical, just like life implications that suggest, um, that the, the future of our country is 
looking for individuals who know how to uh, function in a diverse setting. And so he talked about, you know, the amount of jobs who are um, looking for those who come up from diverse backgrounds and understand how to work in diverse communities, um, that schools, right, part of um, enrollment uh, essays, they're, they're asking questions about, hey, name a time that you were, um, right, that you function within a diverse environment and how it shaped you or how you responded. And it, it just showed the, the, the practical implications of whether we like it or not, this is where our country is moving, right? Like we're increasingly becoming more diverse. Um, the, the job force is becoming increasingly more diverse. And so if you're gonna function in right, corporate America or just in any kind of working environment over the next few years, we need to um, be growing students who know how to not only just kind of exist but know how to flourish and minister to a community that doesn't look like them, that doesn't believe what they believe, um, right? And, and everything in between um, so that they can do their, do their heavenly job and do their earthly job at the same time. Um, and it was very, like I say, because it's just, it was so practical like, it, it wasn't like a argumentative thing of like, this is what I think. It's like, no, look, this is just, data what harvard is asking people to, to do this is what people who are getting hired at these jobs this is what they're asking them to do and so it's just it's a fact um i'm loving this because like i said i didn't sit in any workshops so i'm loving this recap of it but um, it, it does it does remind me of that whole idea that you know as we train kids to be successful in the world we do need to train them on all these areas and also in taking those vain philosophies captive and knowing how to respond but also you know i grew up on in in central america on the mission field right and we didn't just go into the mission field we were trained for that mission field and so isn't it a neat place that we have a christian school to train our kids on how to do that so i mean just biblically speaking a little short aside, like one of the things that I think is often missed, uh, if you're not acquainted with the cultural context behind a lot of the, the book of the letters, Paul was a, a master of the culture around him. Like when he went into a, a different setting to preach the gospel, like he spoke in a way, he would use terminology from their literature um, he would use like, right, like common cultural um, euphemisms and things of this nature, right, in order to communicate truth in a way that not only was true to the gospel, but it also uh, touched something that was integral to, you know, who they were as a people. Um, and that is a, right, like that is a, a art and a skill, right? Jesus did the same thing when he would tell parables and when he was um, traveling and speaking, right? That he would, he had a way with his parables to really get at the heart of where people were. And when he would, when he would give these stories, like people knew the tensions that, that lied within them. And so they could see themselves in the story so much better. And in a similar way, as we're presenting the gospel in our cultural context, uh, if we don't know how to, right, if we're not um, versed enough um, in the, the lives and the people around us to understand Right. You know, for myself, like I think about it. Right. If I'm thinking about the cultures that surround me just in my neighborhood. Right. Do I do I understand uh, the values that they hold and the ways that, you know, um, you know, obviously we share commonality 
um, in our pursuits as humans, but right there, different cultures have different, you know, value systems. Um, how does the gospel best reach somebody who's, you know, not from where I'm from or doesn't look like how I look and how can I communicate it in a way um, that's true, but also winsome? Um, yeah, and that, I mean, it's... Yeah. And I think we do it oftentimes when we train our kids on like, hey, if you want to talk to someone of a different religion, like if you want to talk to someone who's Hindu, maybe Jesus being resurrected is not, you know, like you can talk about that, but understand that they believe in reincarnation all the time. Right. So we, we talk about it when you talk about different religions, but we don't talk about it necessarily well with students when you're just going into the world and you're you're meeting a world that is non-religious anymore. And, and you know, what does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> so um next workshop was dr aaron howard on that building and retaining diverse talent so um, if you look at the national statistics of who we have for faculty and staff within secular public schools um it is very very small i think less than 20 percent are um well i guess i should say over 80 percent are white females um, so we have the male and female gap. You have the people of color gap. You have so many different gaps. And so how did his workshop go? Um, I'll just, I want to start by saying a couple of things. One, he is probably one of the most electrifying speakers that I've ever heard speak virtually in my life. Yay. Um, it felt like we were all in the same room. Like the chat box was crazy. Uh, he was he was a great presenter and you could tell that he's passionate about what he does. Two, I want to just quickly plug. He has a organization mm -hmm. that has created a pipeline for uh, schools um, and churches who are trying to um, right. They're looking to diversify their staff and their leadership. Uh, and he would be a great person to contact to consult with one, just what he talked about here. How do you, not just how do you get a diverse community in your staff, but how do you keep it? Yeah. Um, it's called well, As One Christian Diversity Staffing. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but he did a great job of articulating one, like you say, showing the gaps, but then also um, he was able to give data from not just like, you know, pulling numbers out of the air, but from actual lived experience of people that I think they've worked with who've been in these different spaces of like, hey, this is what they're saying um, has kept them there. Or this is what they're saying has pushed them away. And so you wanna be mindful that your, you know, your community um, is taking these things um, into consideration. Mm. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things, which, I mean, I obviously like, we probably all know this um, and we say it all the time, but um, right, like at the end of the day, like it comes down, it comes down to relationship. Yeah. Right. Um, am I am I working in a place where I feel like I'm known and I'm protected and I'm and I'm wanted here more than just right what I can give, but because of who I am, right? That there's a there's an interest in me and a number of other things. But um, very 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 compelling, very very well researched. Like I say, he's worked with you know, thousands of, of people and, and getting them plugged into places all over the country. Um, and so also if you're a person of color looking to get plugged yes. in a place where you can get in a work in a Christian environment and education and stuff, he'd also be a great person to get in contact with. So I love that. Yeah. Think, Dr. Howard's amazing. Yeah. His session, his session was very informative and probably the most 
electrifying that we had. I love it. Okay, well, the last workshop we had, we chose this because we knew we were going to an election year and we knew we'd be out of the election year before we chose it, but we also knew it would still be something that some of our schools might be dealing with. And so it was that a biblical approach to teaching politics by John Keeling. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got a lot of positive comments from that one. (laughs) Yeah, I want to go sit in his class. Love it. I think I think everybody like the that was probably the unanimous takeaway was like we just the whole country needs to like just sit, gather and sit and then just allow him to teach us what politics really is and then how you are supposed to converse about politics. And then our country would probably be a much better place by at least 45 percent. Isn't it amazing? Because if you think about like the craziness in the world and you think, oh my goodness, here's a Christian who probably just applies everything biblically and it works. <laughs> oh, I mean, and it, and the thing was, is it wasn't, um, you know, sometimes people like, like it feels forced. Like you're like, are you even using that like passage in context? Like, are we, but it was a, it was a very natural sound like, like it almost, when he would say it, you would feel like, duh, like, why didn't I see that before? But it was just, it was such a refreshing way of understanding what politics was. And I think um, two things that he shared with us um, that were that were amazing. So one of the things he talked about is how he prepares his students to engage in political conversation. So like before we even get to, you know, what the work of politics actually does like there's a whole bunch of like pre-work um that 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 goes into it and one of the things he talked about sharing with his students um and having for himself is like a personal uh, oh how did he term it basically like a personal philosophy of 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 work or of basically what he does but he has like a mission statement as a teacher like this is what i want to accomplish for every student that walks into my classroom. I love and it that. was, and it was beautiful. I wish I had it written down, but it was so grounded in the gospel. And it was like you, if you read that one, you could, you could almost plug any different, um, any different subject matter in it, but the way he was able to string it into like, so this is how this practically comes into our conversation. And he was like, what this was helpful for is, if there's any conversation that's not going to be pointing to these ends, then right. That's not, not so much. It's a subject matter that they are removed, but the way in which we talk about the topic and the way and the methods of our conversation, even the goals of politics and lessons, like it all should be pointing towards this end of creating students that right know Jesus and who right trust and love. Like it was just, it was beautiful. Um, yeah, he that man loves God and his students a whole lot, um, and it it you f- you felt the the warmth of what you would get in his classroom mm-hmm. um, through how he he handled that session. It was it was like drinking from a fire hose. It was just it was all so good. 
I love it. Well, hopefully those listening and have been able to hear a little bit about what we do at the Diversity Symposium. It isn't a place where we say, hey, here are all the answers to all these problems and here are all the, you know, everything you're wrestling with, we have it. It's a place where we get to wrestle with these ideas. None of us believe we've arrived. None of us believe that we have all the answers. And so we wanted to create a place where Christians, where brothers and sisters in Christ could get together and take topics that we're wrestling with and do that well together. Um, So so it's a it's a fun time. I want to end with one thing that we added new this year um, was the student symposium. So we've also always wrestled with this idea of we're doing this work because we're doing it for students. Um, that is our passion. That is our heartbeat. That is who we are. And so how as students are wrestling with this topic, so why don't we give them a platform to wrestle well, just like we're trying to do, and they can start interacting with us. So the students created their own symposium with their own themes, their own speakers, um, all again grounded biblically. They don't feel like they've arrived at anything, but just wrestling with the topics and the ideas. And then they were able to present back to the adults about what they learned and then also the adults were able to ask them questions and so to marcus how did that one go virtually how do you think the participants who are able to listen into the students how did they feel um, that that portion went i i think anytime you do this work especially for the educators and you know the the philosophy is great the the techniques are great but in terms of the why, like I think any good teacher, if you ask them why they do what they do, um, you know, first it's it's a calling, but secondly, it's because of the students, right? Any any teacher who, like I say, does it does it well and does it for a long time, like they're in it because of the students. So when you get to hear students say, "Hey, this is why this is important to us," or when this decision was made at the school or when this comment was made, this is how that affected me. Um, all of a sudden, everything that we just talked about, if there was any bit of it that just felt like fluff or agenda, you realize like, oh no, this is important to the kids that I love. Um, that they're, they're concerned about these things, that they have questions about these things, that they're passionate about these things. Um, some of them have been hurt by these things. Um, all of a sudden it, it ignites a kind of um, a desire to want to right invest invest in the conversation more fully, and so um, I for, what was the young man's name who kind of shared his his story a little bit before. Oh. Uh, yeah, he was amazing. He was a graduate of one of the Christian schools, and I don't, I don't remember his name, but he was an impromptu. He had, um, he had come to visit one of his mentors at the symposium, and we just kind of said, "Hey, you want to share a little bit?" And he, every, literally, I think probably more than any other person that spoke, everybody in, on the online session was like, "Who's this kid? How do we get in contact with him? How can we get him to be at our school? How can we get him to come?" and share um, because, I mean, he was, yeah, it was just phenomenal hearing hearing his story, hearing his, uh, the difficulties, but then also hearing just his resolve, his heart for the Lord and his heart for, um, right, creating, helping create environments within schools um, that, that serve the whole student, right? Um, and it, like I say, it's just, it's compelling when you're able to hear it from uh, the students themselves who are who are walking our halls, and so 
yeah, I think I think that was that was probably the that's probably the best way to end every uh, every one of the symposiums because it's like, all right, we're going to talk about all this stuff. All right, cool. This is why everything we just talked about mattered um, because there's real students with real hearts that are concerned and in need of um, right leaders, right, namely us to do the do the work of um, yeah, do the work of, of yeah of the gospel. It's exactly, oh, okay. do the work of the gospel, um, and 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 lead them and disciple them in that process. So, yeah, yeah it reminds me one of um, an alum told me, and I, she didn't tell me this for a few years, which was really kind of shocking to me. So we had a really good relationship, but she said that until she got involved with understanding how the gospel relates to. Um, this area of diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever you want to call it, biblical justice, that kind of stuff. She had gone to church her whole life and she had said church to me didn't recognize me as the Mago Day or as someone who even mattered. And so when she started getting involved with the student councils and everything else, she's like, oh, the gospel is this, this, these do come together and this is biblical. And so it actually um, was a process of getting her um, a relationship with Christ. And so that's the goal is that we want our students to know that this isn't apart from God, that this is part of the gospel and who God is. And so um, thank you to Marcus. Next year, I'm excited to say we will be at Baylor. Um, so Baylor University is going to take us on. So we'd love to have you attend in June again at Baylor. We'll have another student symposium alongside the adult symposium. And if Demarcus is okay with it, we'll continue that virtual symposium and allow him to continue hosting that. So good. Um, I, I just keep reminding you, I know you get all those job offers from the symposium and I get first dibs like anytime, just so we know. <laughs> yes. Always. <laughs> so Always. thank y'all for joining us. I hope that not only did it give you a debrief on the symposium, but maybe it gave you some other ideas and some contacts and resources that you can reach out to, um, to bring into your schools or to help you better process some um, understanding. So like I said, none of us has arrived. These are all just areas that we're wrestling with. And we love the process of wrestling together with brothers and sisters in Christ as we seek to glorify God in all that we do. So thank you and hope to see, I guess, hope that you will listen in again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, Thank you for listening to Grace 360.